Welcome to Ridge to Ridge Outdoors podcast. We talk hunting, fishing, camping, and everything in between. Ridge to Ridge Outdoors is based out of Temecula, California, and we want to share the knowledge gained through the ups and downs of Southern California hunting. Through this podcast, we hope to inspire the youth to get outdoors, help fellow hunters find success, and bring awareness to the issues facing our community today. Help us spread the word and get our community on the map for the level of skill and determination it takes our outdoors men and women to get it done in Southern California. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We got another episode here of Ridge to Ridge Outdoors with a returning guest, Steve Trigliato, also known as I Love Sprig. Um, He was very well received on the last couple episodes, so we have him back to talk about something that we mentioned in the previous podcast, waterfowl. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. How you doing? Doing well. You doing all right, bud? Yeah, doing well. How uh, how'd your friends and family perceive that uh, last podcast you did? You know, really, really well. Uh, you know, I've never, I'm not up to it like a lot of you younger guys are as far as podcasts go. Although I have done some before um, down in San Diego, but uh, it was mostly about fishing. Right. And uh, yeah, this is pretty cool. It's a good medium. Yeah, man. Listen, it. you know, me and Patrick, we started this to uh, get the information out from guys like you to help the newer guys out and it actually plays right into this waterfowl podcast you know you got a lot of information that uh i think uh we should share with the guys that aren't so experienced in in public land refuge hunting yeah it's 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 changed a lot over the years you know uh i actually started waterfowl hunting um seriously i i I had shot ducks before when i was younger but I was from a family that hunted upland game and big game deer. And uh, so duck hunting, uh, the traditional way with like decoys and things, was kind of foreign to me. And uh, an old buddy of mine who was the basketball coach at, uh, at Long Beach City College, um, he took me duck hunting one day in Huntington Beach. Uh, there was a place called Tin Can Beach uh, just, south, uh, just north of... Uh, Huntington and it was the old Bolsa Chica Duck Club and Gary's dad worked for I think it was Union Oil and that was all oil derricks and and oil wells and things but in amongst that were all these little waterways and and uh he asked me one day if I wanted to go duck hunting and I I assumed that we were just going to jump some ponds or something and we went out there and he had these little blow-up decoys and and it was kind of funny because there's a, like a little nozzle on the back and you blow them up and, and it's like a cartoon, you know. Right. And, and so we threw these things out in the water and, and I'm kind of sitting there and it was kind of cold that morning. And and he goes, just wait, they'll be here. And literally thousands and thousands of uh, pintail sprig were started started coming into these backwaters. And it was a, an amazing sight and I was uh, pretty much hooked from that day on that was 69 and 70 so that's when you fell in love with waterfowling yeah yeah really fell in love with it and and uh that was also the first year we went to worcester uh wildlife area and uh that was a you know whole different experience and and uh it's a lot different that that was the point is it's a lot different hunting there today than it is uh, than it was back 
back in that. Uh, Absolutely. You know, I mean, you said you had a bunch, a thousand pintails, thousands of pintails come dropping in on you. Yeah. In Long Beach. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it was, there was waterfowl hunting all up and down the coast. And, and one of the things people don't realize that when you go through Newport Bay and and down here, Benesquitas Lagoon and Tamarack and all these areas that are like pristine uh, backwaters and, and lagoons, those were all duck clubs at the turn of the century in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s. Fortunately for us, um, uh, us people, is that those areas were saved because duck hunters had duck clubs there. Right. And so those were some of the last areas to be developed. Right. And now, uh, one of the good things about the, the green movement, I guess, or whatever it's been, is that those areas were saved and now they're they're still pretty pristine and uh no houses houses all around them right but that doesn't bother waterfowl much yeah yeah when i drive off like manchester for work and i'm going to encinitas and whatnot like i always look in there and there's just a ton of waterfowl yeah manchester i moved to san diego in 74 and manchester as i recall were still shoot they were still shooting there at manchester and um we hunted I, I know when I moved down here, it was like I had done, died and gone to waterfowl heaven. You know, it, it's uh, there were uh, places to shoot and hunt all over North County. And my cousin, I have a picture of my cousin in La Costa at the big La Costa Lagoon right. with seven pintail. And that's when you were allowed seven pintail. Right. And there were literally millions of pintail that era, seven million. So, oh, yeah. See, just the duck numbers alone. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, what's the what's the population on pintails now? It's like two to three million, uh, half, and it it has nothing to do with hunters. Right. Uh, it's all about habitat in uh, Canada. Um, oh, in Canada, they, they've lost some habitat up there. Yeah, pintail or a, uh, a prairie pothole nester, mm-hmm. and um, the changing of the farming practices in uh, southern, be uh, south, uh, eastern Alberta. Uh, southern or eastern uh, Montana and then the prairie pothole country of North Dakota, South Dakota, Saskatchewan. And the farming practices where they just, uh, they like little small potholes. And um, they the farmers just basically are coming in and covering those over with dirt. Yeah, they're grading them. They grade it and the big farm is now the thing. Um, used to be a lot of f- small family farms. Mm-hmm. So there were potholes and fence lines everywhere. Right. And that's what pintail need. And they, they keep restricting us like this year, we're allowed one pintail. It has absolutely no bearing on the numbers of pintail that we have. And they can't control mother nature and they can't really control the farming. And so what they can control is us. And um, that's what they do. Yeah. But it has no bearing on the pintail numbers. So essentially what they're saying <clears throat> is, oh, we can't control Mother Nature, but the farmers are second to Mother Nature, and you guys are getting the short end of the stick. Yeah. And it's yeah. not just that. It's like what he mentioned about um, habitat being used as you know residential and developed. You know, It's yeah. just a perfect domino of, hey, it starts, starts way up there, and you know we have no idea about it and then it's like we focus on our local issues when really it's it's such a bigger picture yeah it's a it, huge picture it's a huge picture when you and i won't n- name any one individual group but the family farms are being bought by um 
you know, I, it's not a big deal. It's I mean, it's a fact of life. Uh, the Heterites right. are really big into farming in Canada, Montana, and North Dakota, those areas. And their philosophy is to make these giant size farms. All the fences are gone. Ponds get pushed in. And that's hence our lower numbers of pintail. And even on the big rainy years, they don't seem to come back now. In the old days, you would have drought and then you would have rainy years. And that just recharges a lot of these small ponds. They get a lot of, you know, duck food is created. And when they flood, it, it, there's a lot of tules. There's a lot of, you know, water grass, all the different kinds of things that protect the, the hens with nests. And we don't have that now. Right. It, it's something that I've witnessed in my own from 2001. This will be my 20th, 20th year going to, Mon or, uh, to uh, Canada. I've seen it in 20 years how the habitat has changed in Canada. And, really changed and that's with your own eyes that's not looking at pictures or anything <clears throat> yeah and that's not 40 years that's not 50 years that's just the last 20 so it's it's just it's just changed so much now when you get into the um the parklands that is not nearly has changed and of course that's where a lot of the mallards come from right and uh mallard numbers are fine a lot of your other uh, shovelers uh teal a lot of your other ducks uh, blue wing nest in those areas right they're doing fine yeah there's no shortage of teal that's that's because of where they nest right. and pintail or a prairie pothole country nester will never be in the numbers that they the long-term number that they want which i think is somewhere in the four thousand right or four million range you don't think it'll ever get back to that no just because of all that <clears throat> loss of habitat you know yeah. that that is quite sad to be honest with you yeah it is and but it's a it's a fact, and, and and Patrick was mentioning, you know, how we've lost a lot down here. I mean, obviously, I can barely hunt around here. Uh, in fact, I think we have like two places left that we can still hunt honkers here in northern uh, San Diego County. It, it, it's again we've lost um, because of the encroachment of ho homes and mm -hmm. houses. Uh, I've been posting a lot of pictures on Facebook on our uh, SoCal uh, Waterfowler uh, page and. And I mean, I look at these places and right here, not too far from where we're, we're doing this podcast, we hunted honkers, you know, a lot. And now it's just a big old housing yeah. complex, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what's happened all over. Yeah. And, um, we have basically two places in SoCal. We have San Jacinto Wildlife Area and we have Worcester Wildlife Area. Um, Salton Sea is receding rapidly. Um, that's going to affect our waterfowl as well. And um, then you've got the duck clubs and you've got, uh, I think, um, there's a number of duck clubs around uh, San Jacinto and Worcester. And then you have uh, Cuyameca, uh, Lake Cuyameca that has a duck hunting program. Barrett Lake of the City Lakes still has a, a duck hunting program. Um, who am I leaving out? Yeah, there's. I think there's one other. Well, you have public. Barrett, you have Cuyamaca, you have Henshaw. Henshaw, <laughs> my favorite. That's your yeah. favorite place. Yeah, man. I, I, was, I, club. I, I was. I was just there yesterday looking for my decoys. Uh, we left a lot of decoys out um, on the last day of the season because, uh, as an MCC member, we can hunt Sundays, and so. The last Sunday of the season, we had left our decoys out from Saturday, and I didn't use them. Uh, one of my other friends had used the decoys, and 
we he left them. I mean, we couldn't carry them out. There were, there were a lot of them. And um, the lake came up six feet in one night, and they went underwater. Mm. And so we went back yesterday in a boat to try and find them. And we found a bag back in the willows. Uh, we know we had GPS them, or we knew where they were marked. And um, but it, the water's still six feet deep there, so we couldn't even couldn't reach them because the willows are so right. thick. So you're out there on a boat poking around. Yeah, we were trying, and it was hard. It was hot, and we tried oh, to. Yeah. We brought sawzalls with us and everything, but we just couldn't get back in far enough to get them. And uh, the lake will—they're really taking a lot of water out of the lake right now. So mm. I don't like that. <sighs> Yeah, that's another issue. Well, listen, we can dive into that here in a little bit. Let's yep. uh, let's uh, stay on the same course, but let, let's uh, talk right into uh, the wildlife areas that we got and like where to start for the new guys. Yeah, yeah. like for example, I'm a comp- I've never waterfowl hunted in my life. I've uh, shot trap and skeet, but that's like you know throwing a ball with your dad and saying, "Oh, I've played a professional game of baseball." You know, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's a pretty good analogy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I tell people this all the time. You pretty much can't start waterfowl hunting just on your own now. Um, you you almost have to have a mentor. Right. Because of the restrictions on birds, um, one pintail, three bluebills, scop, um, or the same bird, um, seven ducks. So it's, it's, um, it's something that you just can't go out and shoot seven ducks. When I started... With the exception of canvasbacks and redheads, which we don't get a whole lot of in Southern California, you were just allowed seven ducks. You could right. shoot seven seven ducks. So seven mallards, didn't matter if it was hens or drakes or what. Same with pintails, seven seven ducks. Now it's really tough. You can you're only allowed two uh, mallard hens, and um, so at dark thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm. It is tough to tell, and even right. the best waterfowlers make mistakes, and and a lot of your hens look the same, and so it's 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 a tough deal. You know, you're absolutely right. It's tough. I um I have a couple ponds that I hunt. Like I hunt the refuges for sure, and we'll dive into that on on my feeling on the refuges here in a little bit. But uh, it I got some local ponds that I hunt. And like you said, Odark 30, right at legal shooting light. If you got a group of ducks dropping in, me and my buddy ate Steeltown. Um, I always tell him, shoot twice and let him hit the water. And we'll worry about it later. You know, because you don't, when it's that dark, it's so hard to ID. I mean, we know what's coming in. Like, uh, you know, it's coming through the trees or dropping in. We know what's coming in. But... You can make that mistake, but easily, you know. And yeah. then you're talking about one shot. You can you can take down two birds with that. I mean, if you're close enough. Yeah. And the way that they come in, they literally drop straight in, Steve. So it's not like you're shooting at. You know, they're dropping down. They're not going right. side to side. So. You you learn silhouettes. Um, I can ID almost every duck in in, in the dark. You know, it, it, by their shape. Um, they also call. There's there's you know the way they sound uh, is another uh, indicator. But again, I mean, this is for people like myself who's been hunting waterfowl for 50 years. A lifetime. And so you get somebody who's just starting out. And uh, YouTube is a, is a, a, a beautiful thing. Right. I mean, there's, there's so much information on the, on the web that 
there's no reason people shouldn't be able to at least ID them in their hand. I mean, everybody's got one of the phones. Right. I mean, I, 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 every year somebody's going to walk up to the check station and they're going to have three pintail hens. And they think that they're gadwall hens or right. they think they're widgeon hens or they think they're whatever hens. And it's it's not cheap, buddy. No. When, once you get whacked, I mean, it's and it's not funny. I'm no, not, it's I not. don't want anybody shooting three hens either. And, yeah. Um, again, though, not that it makes any difference in the in the big picture as far as uh, numbers of waterfowl. But it is hard and it can be costly if you don't know uh, to ID your ducks. And so back to what I was saying that everybody needs a mentor. Um, California Waterfowl Association, um, everybody should try to attend their a banquet. They do a lot for us here in Southern California and uh, waterfowl hunting in California politically. Um, they're really important to us duck hunters and water, just hunters, waterfowl hunters. Right. Those are, those are good organizations, you know, plus you can find friends, you meet people, you know, it's hard for guys to, uh, find a mentor, but they also not, they're not putting in the the time. Like if they would go to one of those meetings and, and be a regular attendee and, and link up with like-minded guys, you know, chances are they're not going to take you to their honey hole if they have one. Right. They may run out the whister with you if you got a decent draw and they may show you the ropes, you know? Yeah. Well, that's one of the things. I mean, uh, I, I know that anybody can put in for the reservations for Worcester and San Jacinto, uh, Kern to a lesser degree, um, to Southern California. But uh, knowing how to do that, which is quite simple, you, you, again, you go on the internet and you go to uh, DFW's webpage, and it'll you can walk yourself through it on reservation days. Now, most of us put in for every shoot day. I mean, it costs like... It's, it's a little over 100 bucks. Uh, well, it depends on how much you put in for. I mean, like, if you just put in for Worcester for Saturdays, it's it's a dollar thirty-five a draw per day. Well, there's um, three months in the season, so you're looking at 13 shoot days times a dollar thirty-five. So if you put in for every Saturday for San Jacinto and Worcester, you're you're probably looking under $40. And if you get drawn, almost everybody gets drawn and um yeah it's like it's like 40 bucks a unit or like per wildlife area because i think because i put in for every shoot day well I, if you put in for every shoot day yeah, that's I do. different than I, every saturday oh yeah exactly yeah 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 that's what i meant Is yeah it, okay yeah if you put in for every shoot day including sundays which i don't even put in for sundays um at worcester um yeah it's somewhere around there but again if you get drawn once or twice it's worth it and it's amazing how many friends you'll find if you get drawn, especially with a good res. Um, and that's I, I suggest that to everybody because you'll get asked. I, I met a guy last year, Paul, that just through the internet, um, he asked me if I would go with him. And I don't normally hunt with new people, right? but just the gut feeling um, that I got with the conversation with him seemed like a really good guy. He had waterfowled in the past but he hadn't for a long long time and yeah i took a flyer and i went with i met him at san Jacinto, and we had a great time right and um and then he, he either i got drawn or he got drawn for worcester and um and that's one of the things um it just it's just a good practice if somebody invites you to go you invite them to go uh, and, and and that's how a friendship works Absolutely. out and 
And so me and Paul went to uh, Worcester, and we had a great shoot there. And and you know what? He's going to be part of our group now. And met him out of the clear blue, and uh, and that's how you you kind of roll to a thing where uh, I can think of another guy, Brian, a guy named Brian, um, who wasn't even in our duck camp. Now he's got a trailer in our duck camp at Worcester, and he was an outsider right. and just kind of through the internet and friends and now he hunts with us and and uh so this is how you kind of snowball this thing into having friends to hunt with yeah and uh the more you go the more you'll get better and you'll start going by yourself see this is why i tell all the new guys that ever ask me about waterfowl they go well how do i put him for the draw and i tell them how to do it and i give them the lowdown and i you know i point them in the right direction but i tell them put in for every day it's a dollar thirty-five a draw. So if you put in for a Wednesday and you draw and you got work, well, listen. If you can't take off work, it is what it is. Yeah. But if you have the luxury to be able to, you know, take a day off, take that day off and go on a Wednesday. Go, just go by yourself, whatever. But yeah. I tell everybody, put in for every every shoot day because the more time you spend out there, the more knowledge you gain, the more people you meet, the you know, the better off overall rounded waterfowler you're going to be because you're going to see ducks you may not get them to drop in on you in your in your specific blind say you got a a shitty draw right i mean we, it's no secret some some of the blinds are better than others but this is what i always say if you're a new waterfowler i don't care what's in front of you get out there you can water smack 25 coots and if you got a dog you need to get your dog wet yeah. especially you put all this time into them in the off season who knows maybe you paid a trainer to train your dog if you did it yourself, you want to see that that come to fruition, right? Go water smack 25 coots. There's a million of them out there. Yeah. And and go get your feet wet in waterfowl. I don't care if it's a, a pintail, a mallard, or shoveler, whatever, you know. If you dump a duck, that's still a duck, you know. And, yeah. and I know people are all weird about coots and what are you going to do with them. But listen, coots make good jerky, man. There's, You know, I, my, I was raised in a family where you had to eat what you shot and... Me and my cousin Dennis used to shoot coots at Lake Isabella, and my grandpa would—I don't know how he cooked them, but he was an Italian guy, and he'd put them in polenta, and and uh, we would eat them. And you know, as young kids, we were just proud as a punch, you know, that yeah. we bagged something and 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 ate it, you know. And it, it, there's people that actually, like in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and those middle state, those middle upper states, that really think coots are really good. So they are edible. Um, uh, there, there's a lot of great ways to prepare waterfowl. I was not raised in a waterfowl family because my dad hated to eat ducks. Right. And so there was the rub. And until I got older, way older that I realize there's a lot of great ways to prepare them. And the whole key is don't overcook any kind of water. Right. There's no fat in the meat. And it's, I hate liver. And yeah, it tastes li- like oh, liver. <laughs> I, I've made that mistake a few oh, times. God, they're brutal. And <laughs> so, but there are tons of great ways to, to, to eat waterfowl. Oh, and, yeah. uh, like I said, I have a Super Bowl party every year and guys bring a lot of different waterfowl dishes. One of the guys, Matt brings uh ruddies and he, he, it's, it's, a recipe that a lot of guys are using now but you take a jalapeno and you hollow it out mm-hmm. and, and you put cream cheese in and a strip of ruddy duck or in his case he uses ruddies and then he wraps it in bacon bacon and barbecues it they are 
delicious. And these are ruddy ducks that he shoots at Barrett Lake. Because Barrett doesn't have a lot of other ducks now. Excuse me. And um, so, I mean, there's ruddies. Ruddies are something that, why well, don't shoot ruddies? You know, hey, good. I mean, don't no problem with that. But if you do, they are very edible. And so it's so funny you say that because I know guys that are like, I'm only shooting high flyers. I'm like, you're going to shoot three birds a year. You know, like <laughs> it's hard to go out and get good draws. And say you only get drawn once or twice, Steve, yep. at Worcester San Jay, right? To be, if you're not a lifelong waterfowler, don't pull the trigger. You put, put birds on the ground, you yeah. know, get, get your feet wet and learn it, you know, and going back to the, the ruddy. Eight Steel Town, Jesse, big shout out, man, big SCHer, you know. That guy loves ruddies. Like he, he man, I'll take them, you know. Like yeah. he, he eats them up. It gets me so I get pumped listening to him talk about ruddies. And it's yeah. so funny because he's like, it's a piece of flame and yawn, you know. Like he cooks it medium rare and he, yeah. he loves those things, man. Yeah, it, again, it's all how you prepare them. And uh uh I, I was looking at a picture the other day because I've I've posted a lot of old time pictures from the from the 70s, uh, early 70s. And my first duck hunt where I went on my own with my cousin Ronnie, who was real little in those days. And, and uh, we were hunting the north end of the Salton Sea. And I was looking at the stringer of ducks that I had. And we just, like you, like I said before, it was just seven ducks. We didn't know what the heck they were. And I can see ruddies on, spoonies and ruddies on this stringer of ducks. I was so proud. You know, I had my first limit, not my first limit, but it, where I actually went out on my own without Gary Anderson with me. And and uh, we had driven to the north end. We had a boat. We went out into the bay, one of the bays there, and and uh, had decoys, those same blow-up decoys. And, and uh, But there's ruddies and spoonies, and I don't know what the other kind of ducks were right. or on the strap, but it, you know what? It was just totally bitching and... And uh, once, like I said, once I got waterfowling, and a lot of guys are that way. Once you start, it, it, it really is addicting, and it is. And, uh, it's a it's a lifestyle because um, waterfowling is not easy, and hunting Salton Sea um, was really hard because of the mud. Mm-hmm. Worcester mud is brutal. It's it is. A, it's a special kind of mud. It'll stop an army. Yeah, it yeah. It's a, an army. it's a special kind of mud, and. Uh, San Jacinto is 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 more like hunting a like hunting a duck club. Yep, you know it's very nice. Green. It's very green. Mm-hmm. Uh, Worcester is very brown, um, desolate. It's desert. You know that they put water on top of it, yeah. and uh, it, it's got its own kind of beauty. Uh, daybreak in the morning at Worcester when you've got a lot of sprig flying over you, and and, and uh, it, it's a it's a it's, it's a, just a beautiful thing, yeah. And and being out in a marsh at daybreak is totally addicting. I mean, it is really addicting, and uh, that's I think that's what most of us guys that uh, really love it, you know. Yeah, remember. you know, I will tell like for the newer guys that are just getting into waterfowl or haven't hunted any of the refuges yet or want to get into it, be prepared for it to be a production to go to Worcester. Because yeah. if you're from Southern California, San Diego, it it's a long drive out there. You got to get there either the morning of or the night before, and you you got to be prepared for that. Like there's no accommodations out there outside of some some shitters, 
you know, and uh, bring your own gear, bring your own water, your food, bring everything because it's more of like a camping camping trip to get out there. Yeah, there is a there is a day camp. There is a uh, a permanent, um, a semi-permanent um, camping area that there's a draw for, um, which is not unique to Worcester. Um, uh, Mendota has, other places have them, but uh, guys keep, you know, some trailers out there. Then there's the day camp area where you can go out there and camp. I don't think it, I think you can camp for eight straight days, something like that. Um, not that anybody's counting, but um, so there is some camping uh, there are bathrooms, um, but it's 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 rough. Salton Sea, just the habitat mm-hmm. alone is rough, and hunting Worcester is 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 rough. Um, I, I I posted a thing the other day that there used to be 132 spots to hunt. That's not the case now. Um, the state has, in my opinion, really let us down um, on on Worcester, especially. Uh, we're down to probably less than 80 spots and it's uh, part of it is the invasive species of salt cedar um arundo bamboo things like that have have eaten up the area and uh without without cwa cleaning areas out it would probably be overtaken already i've been waiting for this podcast steve for probably i think it's close to three weeks because see so i went out there I drove through. I was going down to uh, Nyland. I had to go for work, right? And um, I drove through Worcester, and it's overgrown. What's the deal with that, man? It's pretty bad. It, it you know, they, 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 the equipment is the, the habitat again is really hard on equipment down there, and um the equipment for the most part is not very new i think i think the d7 is still from when i worked there in 1975 and 76 um it's i don't know if it's lack of funds um when i worked there we had 15 employees full-time tractor operators a full-time biologist a soup one a soup two plus all these seasonal aids plus techs all lived there at worcester we lived there and worked there. Now I think they're down to maybe three employees plus um, the area manager and then um, two girls in the office. And they're trying to take care of this whole wildlife area. So they're totally understaffed. And uh, part of it is, I mean, you, uh, our money now, uh, duck stamp money is earmarked only for duck habitat, duck related things our the rest of our money is goes into the general fund and um i think it's just um we're just lacking in 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 funds i mean how can we go from 15 employees to basically five right um it's the state of it's the state of the state of california and worcester being at the far end down here is kind of like the stepchild of the, of the rest of the wildlife areas and yeah. refuges um you go to San Jacinto. Night and day difference. Yeah. Beautifully green. It's manicured. I mean, Tom does a beautiful job out there. And it's getting overgrown too, but in a different way. He, the Thule's are really taking over a lot of ponds. It needs a lot of work right. um, to keep open water. One thing, I mean, it's great to have tons of water grass or, or a Japanese millet, but if you can't put a decoy out because it's so solid of vegetation... 
That's not good either. So it's the polar opposite of what we have at Worcester with the dikes being overgrown at Worcester in a, in a lot of cases and there is some open water. It's it's the, it's the opposite kind of at San Jacinto where uh, mowing tulies does nothing. Right. They just come right back yeah, through it. Pull them out. And so yeah, it's it's two different kind of uh, issues. I know uh, Tom posted yesterday that is I I think he said he was way behind because of uh some of his equipment being broke down. Right. Well, why isn't it fixed? I mean, exactly. I mean, why why aren't we fixing it? You have no money to fix these kind of things. If I'm a farmer and I break my uh, my biggest tractor or whatever, I have it fixed, and basically that's all we are. Is right. We're just farmers on a wildlife area, and um, the the swamp timothy and things like that. And this is this doesn't take rocket science to grow timothy grass or millet or any of these kind of things. Just add water. Right. But you do have to plow. You you do have to treat the ground just like a farmer treats the ground to grow wheat. And um, I, I I don't blame either one of our area managers. Uh, I don't know if it goes farther up to Scott, which is the Scott the Scott uh, Sewell is our soup too. He is the the manager for both wildlife areas, and I don't know if it stops there or goes farther to the, yeah. up the ladder. You know, Scott may have his hands tied too, though. Absolutely. I mean, everybody's under a budget. Yeah. And everybody's under a thumb saying, hey, don't spin this, don't spin that. I don't want you using water. Water is gold. And I know that there's a lot of acre feet allowed at San Jacinto. Why aren't we using it? Because I know that we don't use it all. So why not? That was I was going to ask you that question. Because from what I understand is is we only use, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we only use about half of what we're allotted at San Jacinto. That's basically what I've been told as and well. So if we use the other half, wouldn't that overflow into, what do they call that little dried up lake bed, Mastic Lake? or oh, Mystic. Mystic Lake, right? Wouldn't that overflow into that? Mystic Lake is pretty full right now. Oh, it of, is? Oh, yeah. See, I haven't, I haven't been out there yeah, since it's last It's pretty year. full because of our, our rains that we had this year. Um so this, this should be a really good waterfowl season. That's always one of the key factors. Tom has added some blinds out there. So that that's a, a, a net oh. plus oh, wow. nice. for us to have uh, some blinds over there. And it, and it really helps the area because it holds the birds in that general vicinity versus flying over to Paris or, uh, or into the different sanitation ponds that are all throughout the area. Right. And so that that is a, a really a big plus for San Jacinto hunters this year is having mystic with water. Yeah. So yeah. tell me this: <clears throat> Has Worcester ever been like San Jacinto, like from way back when? You know. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, when I worked there, a philosophy started changing. Uh, maybe. 10 or more years ago, Worcester used to have dikes, and it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it is to ducks. Um, Worcester had, um, and I'm just going to use a a field like T12, um, always historically one of the better fields. The dikes were only 50, 60 yards apart. Now they're 120 yards apart. So it's big ponds like, and ducks like to sit on dry dikes during the course of the day. I don't know how they kept them clean in the old days uh, other than they just constantly worked the fields. But again, that's full. we had full-time 
employees. tractor operators yeah. that were doing this kind of thing. As something started growing, people like myself, you know, low man on the totem pole, we used to go out and cut anything that was starting to grow. Like if salt cedar started to grow on a dike, we cut it down and okay. cut it off. Now it just, they just don't have apparently the money or the manpower to be able to keep these dikes clean. See, I don't, I don't necessarily buy that though. I don't, I don't buy that there's not enough money. Okay. It's priorities. It is. It's what it is. It boils down to priorities and where the state wants to allot the money. Right. And, and so tell me, like you were saying, oh, San Jacinto, right. They, they're having a tule infestation problem. Right. And you can't just cut them down. You got to pull them out. I, I don't know. I don't know if we have to petition someone, but to me, I feel like in the off season, that's a, that's a, um, a correctional, it's a correctional work, work staff issue. I feel like, I think we should have our corrections take care of that with the, with the labor guys that come out of the jails. I mean, that's free labor. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily free, but there used to be the prisoners out at, uh, that live just out well, there between Nyland and Calipatra used to come out and work at Worcester. See, See, why aren't those guys... Well, I don't know if it's unjust punishment or something it's for not. working out there. But the fact is, you used to have that. You're paying a debt to society. You yeah. go to jail, you have to do what you yeah. have to do. I mean, it, this is this is all stuff that used to be done. And why aren't we doing it anymore? Probably some political reason. I'm sure. But everything seems to be political now. There's probably a reason that we don't have more money at Worcester. I mean, it's the last remaining wildlife area and only wildlife area we have basically in southern california down there and right. and yet instead of looking like um taj mahal it's just it's headed south i mean it's going the other direction from 130 some hunting spots to probably less than 80 and then i mean we what did we have we have like a handful of blinds down in hazard no what do we have now down there uh hazard has um uh, I think there's 19 total, 15 in Hazard and four at Union Track. Um, Union, tra- but that's a totally different issue. Those are the feds. Anybody that wants to call Chris can call Chris and and either complain or suggest that, hey, can you please disc the W11A through 13 pond because they introduced tules there. Mm. Why I have no idea. And now it's a tule fest there too. Yeah, uh, they they planted it with I think they used uh, water grass there. Might have been millet, but I think it's water grass. It gets so thick that you know it, it, you, again hardly a place to put decoys. The same with uh, hazard five and six. Couldn't hunt it last year. It was solid grass. When we had twenty thousand snow geese in there eating it out every night, yes, right. it was really good. But Chris has to change his thoughts, and, I, and I'm actually going to call him this next week. That needs to be mowed before the season. Take right. that water off, dry the field up, and mow it. And get it down. And, and and you know what? With the environmental things nowadays, that may not even be legal to mow oh, wow. those fields. Maybe that's what it is. I, I, I don't think that's the case, but I, it could be. Right. Because you go over to Unit 1, which is part of the Sunny Bono Wally, uh, National Wildlife Refuge, They've got these beautiful manicured fields over there for the snows. They've got big ponds for the where they can water every day, and there's a reason they 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 built that Sunny Bono uh, Unit One um, refuge to keep the snow geese from farmers' fields. That's what the purpose of it was, and it and it works to a certain degree until they feed it out. 
and then they leave and start going into the local farmer's fields. That's not the case over at Hazard. Hazard is is actually, I think, uh, the state of California actually owns the dirt, but it's it's managed by the feds. There's no re- in the old days; those fields were perfectly clean and. God, the waterfowl hunting was so good in Hazard, and the sea was real close. Now the sea is at least a mile away or more. So that's part of the receding. Yeah, that's um, an issue too. I mean, that, that's a whole uh, other issue. Yeah, we could go another podcast on just the salt and just sea. Just the salt and sea. It's, it's interesting happening. stuff. Yeah, there's there's only one real cure, and that's to bring water in from San, from, from uh, the Sea of Cortez. Uh, getting Mexico to agree to a pipe that would run water from there. I don't know that it'll ever happen. So we'd have I to, don't think it's going to happen. We'd have to pump it up. Yeah. You water would, rights. You, well, oh, what man. you would do is pump it in there probably still peeved that we, you know, we stopped the Colorado river from going into one of the most beautiful deltas ever right. in Mexico because we stopped the water in the United States. Right. I mean, I get it. They could run the water to, um, the new river, uh, which comes out of Mexico and they would only have to run that line from Mexico to the New River, and then the New River would become like the Mississippi going into the Salton Sea. That could save the Salton Sea. And logistically, it's the only way they can do it. That's the only answer. There's a there's a special out right now that, that either a bill or something is being done, and that is what's proposed. Oh, really? So we're, we're all hoping that it'll happen. Probably won't happen in my lifetime. Well, if it happens, great, you know. Yeah, no, no, we're we're hoping that it does. I mean, because that's the answer. I right. mean, that is the one and only answer. Well, it's just it's a sad it's a sad story about Worcester. You know, I mean, I I haven't been hunting waterfowl for more than I don't know my dog six. I think I got into it a year before she was up. Yeah, before I got her. So just say just say six years I've been going right, and I literally me and my buddy Matt. You know Matt Patrick. Yeah. Me and my buddy Matt, his old man took him down there numerous times. And then, unfortunately, he passed away. And um, then he kind of quit. And anyways, we got back into it. And I literally cut my teeth at Worcester. Because San San Jacinto is like, it is a crapshoot, right? You either get a draw or you go out there for the sweat line. And ever since that Duck Dynasty stuff, man, everybody thinks they're a waterfowler. So everyone's out there. And the line's 150 people long. You know, and good luck getting on the sweat line, especially on a Wednesday. Yeah. You know, you go, oh, I'm going to take a day off work. That line's just as long. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to stay tuned for next week. We'll continue our talk on waterfowl with Steve and dive deep into the common pitfalls of new waterfowlers.